And I, I've never preached from a bridge before. <laughs> My earliest memory of a really long bridge is from when I was in third grade. My family had traveled from our home in Kentucky to be with relatives in Detroit, Michigan, uh, because my grandfather's brother had died. And during the week there, my uncle took my dad and me to Canada. Detroit is separated from Windsor, Ontario, by the Detroit River. And you cross this suspension bridge that was built in the early 1900s. It's just a tad under one and a half miles long. And I can remember I had never seen a river that big, never seen a bridge that long, a suspension bridge. I remember sitting in the back seat as we crossed that bridge, and I did not say a single word. I was scared to death. We got to the other side, looked around Canada, came back, and it got worse. We didn't cross the bridge. We went through a tunnel under the river. And I was even more petrified. I was never so glad to get out of a car in my life as a little boy. We all know the importance of bridges that take us from here to there, places we want to go. But it's like the video at the beginning of the service said, the most important bridge ever built doesn't cross a river or gorge. The most important bridge that's ever been built takes us to eternity to God. And I believe all of us in this room want to cross that bridge. That each adult, teenager, and child in this place today and those who are watching on television want to, to travel from here to heaven. We want to cross the bridge that takes us from this life to eternal life. We want to travel the bridge that takes us from the life we now experience and some of us especially so because of the difficulties of life, from life we're living now to, to a better life, a, a more meaningful life. We want to cross the bridge from knowing about God to actually knowing God. I, I think that's what all of us really want. And the good news is that God wants that same thing for you. Just like you want to know God, God wants to know you. God wants a relationship with you. Just like you want eternal life, God wants you to have eternal life. Just like you want to go to heaven, God wants you to go to heaven. Just like you want your sins forgiven, God wants to forgive your sin. God wants all of that for you. The story in the book of Genesis when God created the first man and woman, it says in chapter 1 verse 27 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And only humanity, only us were created in the image of God, meaning that we can have a unique relationship with him different than any other part of creation. N none of the, the physical attributes of this universe were created in the image of God. None of the animals that walk this planet were created in the image of God. Only me, only you, only us. And so we can have a unique relationship, a unique fellowship with God unlike any other part of of creation. God wants that for each of us. But here's the challenge. We're not certain how to get there. How do I move from where I am now as someone who knows about God but doesn't know God to the other side of this bridge and actually have a relationship with God and know Him? 
How do I move from earth to heaven? How do, how do I move from just living this physical life to actually having eternal life? We have all these ideas, but we're not certain. How do I do that? And so we, we try to cross different bridges to get there. Some of us try to cross the bridge of, of doing the best we can, being a, a really good person, treat others the way we want them to treat us, be a, a moral person. And we, we hope that if we, if we travel the bridge of just being a good person, doing our best, that will get us there. Some, some of us try the, the bridge of being religious, really active in church, participating in the various religious rituals, whether it's baptism, communion, or whatever. And, and, and we hope that if we, we, we travel the bridge of being a religious person, it will get us to heaven, it will get us to knowing God. Some of us travel the bridge of being a spiritual person. This is a, a real popular one in America today. Taking thoughts from this philosophy and that religion and those that we like and that, that feel good to us and we blend them together, so to speak, and create our own spiritual path. And, and we're hoping that that spiritual bridge will get us to heaven, will get us to God, will get us to a new life, will get us to eternity. The Bible says those bridges don't work. They don't get you where you want to go. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, the Bible says, There's a way which seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. There are all these bridges we build, spiritual bridges, religious bridges, a good life bridge, and so on. And, and we hope they'll work, but God says it may seem right to you, but it doesn't work. On the other side of that bridge is not life, it's death. On the other side of that bridge is not Heaven is hell. On the other side of that bridge is not a meaningful life. It's just continuing to struggle with the life you already have. They don't work, even if we think they do. And the reason those bridges we build do not work is because they don't deal with the real problem all of us are facing. They only mask it. They only try to cover it up. It's like this little can of air freshener that I keep in my truck. It's royal pine. Oh, that smells good. I like cinnamon, by the way, as well. Air fresheners do not get rid of what's causing the odor, the stench. They just mask it. They're potent, powerful, stronger, and you smell them. It overwhelms the, the, the bad odor. But once this wears off, unless you've dealt with what was causing the stench, the smell's still there. And all these bridges we build to eternity, to God, to heaven, are like air freshener. They, they may smell good, feel good for a moment, but it diminishes, it wears off. They don't work because they're not dealing with the real problem. They're just, they're just masking the problem. See, the real problem that all of us face, that I face, that you face, it's something we don't talk about much. In fact, in our culture, it's sort of taboo. It's a, a bad word. But it's a Bible word. It's an important word. And it's spelled with three letters. S-I-N. That's the problem. And you can't mask it because it doesn't go away. It's still there when the 
air freshener wears off. It's a real problem that has to be dealt with. It's, it's a problem that the very first people they had to deal with. God created Adam and Eve. You know, you know the story. He placed them in the beautiful garden and gave them everything they needed to have a great life. Said so you can enjoy all of this. But there's this one tree, and you're not allowed to eat the fruit of that tree. Everything, all, all this other stuff, yours. But this one, no, off limits. Well, you know what they did. They ate that fruit, right? They did what God told them not to do. They disobeyed God. And that is the basic definition of sin. Doing what God says don't do or not doing what God says we should do is disobeying God. That's what sin is. Adam and Eve sin. And so have all of us. And in many ways, we react the same way they reacted because after they ate that fruit, disobeyed God's sin, and, and, and this problem became humanity's problem because it wasn't just Adam and Eve's problem. Then it became our problem, and we've done just like they have. You know how they reacted? In chapter 3 of Genesis, the Bible says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that image of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, hid themselves from the presence of God. The, the very essence of what sin does is it kills your relationship with God. It causes us to hide from Him, to, to live with shame and embarrassment, with a, with a sense of failure. And some of you right now are, are feeling those things. That's what sin does. But it's not just Adam and Eve, it's me and it's you. I I'm a sinner. Steve Hogg is a sinner. I've sinned. You're a sinner. You have sinned. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A-L-L, that's me and you. If Jesus were standing on this bridge, I could not look at him and say, Jesus, I'm as good as you are. He's perfect. I'm not. I'm a sinner. You could not stand and say, Jesus, I'm as good as you are. Because you're a sinner. You're not. Per all of us, all of us have that problem. And we, we try to mask it with all these different bridges. But they don't work. Sin has consequences. In Isaiah 59, the Bible says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. It separates us from God. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. That means spiritual death. That separation from God. That Yes, in my mind I know there's a God. I may even pray and ask that God to help me at times, but I'm separated from him. I'm spiritually dead. I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. It's also physical death. At the end of our time on earth, we physically die and are buried because of sin. And it's eternal death that if I live my life spiritually dead, and then I physically die as someone who is still spiritually dead. I spend eternity spiritually dead, eternal death, separated from God. That's what hell is. It's separation from God in a place of suffering, wages of sin. The, the church pays my salary. I, I get paid every, every two weeks. That's when I get my check, direct deposit. Some of you are paid every two weeks. Some of you are paid weekly. Some of you are paid twice a month. Some of you are paid monthly, right? 
And every time you get that check or it goes into your account, those are your wages. You've worked for that. You've earned that. You say, okay, this is not just a gift. I've worked. This is it. This is payment for my wages. And the Bible is saying that because we've sinned, we have wages. And those wages is this spiritual death, this spiritual separation from God, this problem that all of us have that we try to mask with all these bridges we build hoping to get to heaven that don't work. But there's another problem. See, sin makes a mess of life. Have you, have you noticed that? Everybody in this room, to some extent or another, is carrying around some pain and some hurt because of wrong choices that either you made or someone else made. Sin messes up life. It brings in pain and hurt and confusion and slavery and all these different things, bondage and addictions, and it just ruins life. It works sort of like this. I remember reading years ago about how in past times some Eskimos would kill a wolf. They would take a knife, one bigger than this. This is one of my fishing knives. They take one bigger than this and um, coat it in blood and let it freeze. Then they would coat it in blood again, let it freeze again, let it freeze again, over and over until a very thick coat of frozen blood was on that knife. And they would securely fasten it in the ground with a blade up. And the wolf would smell the blood, and he would begin licking it, and he would like that cold, frozen blood. And he would lick and lick, and he'd get more enthusiastic, more excited. And eventually it would be warm blood, and he'd get really excited, and he'd just keep drinking, licking that warm blood, not realizing he was drinking his own warm blood as he cut his tongue over and over until he bled to death. And there are some in this room right now who are really struggling with addiction. You've tried and tried to overcome it, but you can't. How many times have you said, I don't know why I do that. Every time I do it, I know what's going to happen, but I do it anyway. You go somewhere that you know that that's a bad place. It's going to, it's going to create problems for you, but you go anyway. If I, if I make that decision, it'll cost me, but, but I make it anyway. We have a sin problem, and it ruins life. And we can't, we can't fix it by ourselves. No matter how hard we try, all we do is mask it. We don't fix it. The Bible says that all of our righteous, listen to this, all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. No matter how hard I try, how good I do, it's not perfect. Earlier this week, I went to the closet and got out one of our First Baptist t-shirts. You know those I like my church t-shirts we gave out last year? I have several of those. I have a green one I like to wear. And I got it. I was going to wear it. But over here on this side... It was all dirty. I got something on it last time I'd worn it, some dirt or something or another. And so I had to turn my nice FBC T-shirt into a, a yard work shirt. And the rest of the shirt was clean. Still fit, looked good. But that one spot ruined it. it it's like all it takes is one stain to ruin a new outfit. First time the kids tracked mud on that new carpet. 
I try and I try, but my, my good is, is messed up because of my sin, my, my, my bad. The Bible says in James 2 that whoever keeps the whole law, the law of God, yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. How many crimes do you have to commit to become a criminal? How many sins do you have to commit to become a sinner? I'm a sinner. Many times over. You are a sinner many times over. No matter how hard I try, I still have that problem that I can't fix. And brothers and sisters, it at times can feel really hopeless, can it? Really hopeless. But I want you to know it's not hopeless. The bridges I build don't work. But it's not hopeless because God has already built a bridge for each of us that does work. And that bridge is Jesus Christ. That takes us from where we are to where we want to be. From not knowing God to knowing God. From not having everlasting life to having everlasting life. From earth to heaven. From the life I live now to a life that God blesses, that God helps be different, that is more meaningful, that isn't in bondage to all those sins and addictions of the past. Jesus is that bridge. And do you know how he built it? On the cross. On the cross. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Imagine my left hand is you. God loves you. God wants to know you. God wants a relationship with you. But imagine this Bible is a book written, and written in it is all the sins you've ever committed. That's your problem. God loves you, but you have a sin problem. This hand is Jesus. Lived a sinless, perfect life died on a cross to pay for your sin. And the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each to his own way. We've sinned. But God has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of all of us. Transaction took place on that cross. Jesus said, I'm going to take your sin on himself. And when you give your life to him, he's going to give you his righteousness, his forgiveness, his eternity, his home in heaven, his new life. He does all of that. And when you give your life to Christ, all of the things you wanted that you tried to build these bridges to gain are given to you as a gift, forgiveness, a new heart, a new home, everlasting life. But he also changes your life here and now. He makes you a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I want you to hear from someone. Jan, would you come on up? This is Jan Denier. I want you to hear her story. Today she loves God, but there was a time when she hated God. And I want you to hear how God helped her cross the bridge to a new life. Would you welcome Jane? Jan. (laughs) 
I've tried talking to this thing. I'm so grateful to be here. But before I start this story, I want to tell you one thing. There is nothing special about Jan Janeer. I am not some unique person. I am a very flawed human being. And if you don't believe that, talk to those people and inquire. They have to live with me all the time. I tell you that because I want you to know that God didn't do what he's done in my life because of me. He did it because of who he is. And he wants to do the same thing for every one of us. So I pray that you will remember that. This story is not about me. It's about God. I grew up in a preacher's home. Matter of fact, both of my parents were preachers in a different kind of church. Unfortunately, that particular church was a very harsh, condemning, negative kind of church. I didn't hear much about the love of God, and I certainly didn't see it. They preached a lot about condemnation. My mother and father both were Christians, absolutely. I know they both loved Jesus. My father was a wonderful man. I loved him to death. He had a great smile, and when he smiled at me, I smiled. But he wasn't a strong man. My mother was a very strong woman. My mother was a very unhappy woman. She did not know how to be happy. Everything about my mother's thinking processes were negative. I never heard my mother say, I love you. I heard my mother say things like, you're no good and you never will be. I heard her say, if you ever turn out to be half as good as your sister, I'll be surprised. My mother did not know how to love me or didn't want to. I don't know which. But it didn't take me long as a little girl to realize I was the long one in that home. I knew my father loved me, but I knew my daddy would never protect me. When I was eight years old, a friend of my parents who had been kind of like their original pastor when they first got saved, they thought the world of this man. He'd come and visit us and preach. And I thought he was a great man. But this man, like all pedophiles, know a vulnerable child when they see one. And at his first opportunity, he took advantage of that, and he molested me. I had to sit in church and listen to this man preach. Talk about God and good. And knowing what was happening to me. From that first time, everything about God in church changed. Every seed of faith I had in that little girl's mind died. And every time I heard a preacher preach, I said, this is a lie. And I grew up that way. I knew I had to keep it to myself because there was no way I was going to be protected. So I learned to play a role. And I pretended to be a good Christian. I pretended that I believed what I was hearing. And the older I got, the more I hated it. The more I did not believe it. When I got out of high school, I had one option in life. I could go to Bible college or I could stay home in that environment. And I wouldn't have done anything to get out of there. So I went to Bible college. I spent four years there. I graduated there with a ministerial degree. 
four years of studying the Bible and not believing in him. But they didn't know that. I married a guy there. I didn't know it when I married him, but he was there for the same reason I was. It was expected of him. His faith was non-existent, just like mine. Now you have two young adults trying to be preachers when neither one of them believed the word they were saying. I lived with that situation for five years, and I got more and more and more sick inside living that lie. I became suicidal. I was so depressed. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get out of it. I did not see any answers to this. God gave me three children. I don't have the time to tell you, but those three children spared my life. They don't even know it. They did. After 10, no, 13 years of marriage, I could not live this way anymore. I laid in bed beside my husband many nights and cried myself to sleep, and he never asked me what was wrong with me. Why are you crying? I knew, again, I was alone. I've been alone my entire life. When I divorced David, right before I divorced him, I got into an extramarital affair. I became pregnant, and to protect myself, I had an abortion. And I don't tell you that to glorify Satan. I tell you that so you will know that it doesn't make any difference what you've done or where you've been. God can change you. I became involved with a man for 10 years who was very, very destructive. It almost destroyed me, and it was a very bad influence on my children. At the end of that 10 years, I came to the end of my rope. I laid in my bed one night, and I was so empty inside, I felt like my guts were coming out. And I knew deep in my heart I wasn't going to make it through that night. I knew it. I didn't even want to. That's the first time I prayed. And I said, God, if you're real and you care anything about me at all, if you don't help me right now, I will not live till morning. And I knew that deep in my soul. I could not take this pain any longer. I could not live with it anymore. From somewhere way down deep inside of me, this unbelievable strength rose up in me, and I knew it wasn't mine, and it grew, and it calmed my spirit. I was able to go to sleep, and I began to get stronger, but I will not admit that is God who did answer my prayer. Five years later, I was in San Diego. I got out of my car one night. Two men in a stun gun met me, and they attacked me. I did not know what was happening, why it was happening, what their purpose was. I just knew I was in a fight for my life. I don't know if God sent angels there for me that night, or he just gave me a supernatural strength. I don't know how he did it. I was a lot smaller then, no match for two men in a stun gun. But I guess I gave them such a fight, they finally gave up and ran away. God spared my life that night. 
for about the tenth time. I spent a year in counseling after that because it was a very traumatic event. And I worked through some of the issues of my life. And I began to not feel quite so suicidal, but I was still miserable and empty inside. A week after I ended that counseling, I woke up one morning and this voice said to me, it's time for you to go home. Quit your job, sell everything you got, and go now. And I might as well have been a soldier, and my general was telling me to go march because I could not ignore it. I walked to my work. I quit my job. Two weeks later, I had sold my car and everything else, bought a little bitty car, and drove from San Diego to South Carolina. After being away for almost 30 years, and after 30 years of saying I'll never go back there. A year and a half later, I started selling so, um, Tupperware with a girl named Gina Lawson. And Gina, she started inviting me to go to church. I did not want to go to church. You know that. I would not go with my mother and sister. They wanted me to go. I liked Gina, though. I really liked her. And she kept inviting me. And finally, she invited me to come to Friend Day. And I thought, well, maybe if I go with her this one time, she'll get off my back and quit bugging me and leave me alone. That's what got me here. Her persistence got me here. But God had a different plan. I kept coming back. He put me in this group called Singles Again. They took me in with open arms. They didn't look at me like, here comes the tramp of the street. They didn't ask me any questions about my life. They just accepted me, made me feel welcome. For months, I watched these people. I watched how they treated each other. I watched how they treated their wives, how they treated other people when their wives weren't around. And I began to think maybe they're the real deal. Maybe they really do believe what they say. Six months later, they had a retreat to go to in Hilton Head. Now, I, I got to tell you, I was a party girl at heart. I hadn't had a party in a long time. I had been in the South for a year and a half. There hadn't been any fun in my life. I really wanted to go see this beautiful place, Hilton Head, but I wasn't sure I could stand a whole week with, with a bunch of Baptists. I also didn't have any money, but I was thinking about it, and I, I really would like to go there. So Thursday morning, I had a conversation that changed my life, really. I said, God... If you're real and you want me to go with you on this trip, you're going to have to pay for it because I don't have any money. So there. I never thought a thing about it until Sunday morning. Jennifer Edwards was our leader. And the first thing out of her mouth that morning, if you want to go on this Hilton Head trip and you can't afford it right now, you see me after church, we've got a scholarship, you can go. I can't repeat in church what I said inside myself. <laughs> I knew I had just done myself in. I knew it deep in my heart. I knew I was coming to the end of this thing. I wish I had the time to tell you the miracle that God did for me that weekend. Charlotte and some of the others know. You want to know 
Ask me or them, they'll tell you. Bottom line is Saturday night I heard two personal testimonies from two of those good Christian men, and their lives had taken very similar patterns to mine. And I sat in that seat, and I said, God, if you can change them, maybe you can change me. And I said, I give up. I'm not going to fight you anymore. Whatever's left of me, you can have. I asked him to remove something that was inside of me that I just could not control. And he did. I never had that issue again. I didn't say a word to anyone that day. I waited until we were on the way home and I told them what I had done. That was the beginning of a whole new life for me. The last 22 years have been an amazing, amazing and challenging journey. God has taken me through cancer. He's taken me through the death of my precious son. He gave me a week with my mother before she died and let me care for her when no one else could calm her. He gave me a week with my dad before he died and my father cried and begged my forgiveness. I got to make peace with both of them. Since that time, he has changed everything in me. I can't tell. I wish I had a picture to show you the darkness that the first 50 years of my life was and the glorious color portrait that he's made of my life. He's healed everything in me. He taught me how to forgive. He taught me how to forgive myself. He got rid of that anger. He taught me how to understand my parents and realize that they were just people who did the best they could. They didn't mean to hurt me. What can I say about the love of God for you except that it's unbelievable? I am so, so loved, and I looked for it for 50 years, and I found it in Jesus. Amen. Your story is not Jan's story. It's your story. But all of us have, in essence, the same need, the need for Christ to deal with our own sin problem. We all want to cross the bridge from where we are to heaven, from, from this life to eternal life, to, to, a, to a better life. And you can in Jesus Christ. You remember that verse that was kind of tough a moment ago, the wages of sin is death? Well, there's more to that verse. Now, not only in Romans 6, 23 does it say the wages of sin is death, but, but look at that. It says the gift of God. God has a gift for you. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a, a $20 bill. If I were going to give this to you as a gift and I offered it, you would just reach out your hand and take it, right? That's how you do with a, with, with a gift. And you wouldn't pay me back. You just accept it. If you try to pay me, it's no longer a gift. It's just a gift, and you, you take it. But we always like to put gifts in something. So if it's money, we put it in an envelope. If it's a, uh, something else, we put it in a package and wrap it in paper. And so you have to take the envelope or the package and unwrap it, open it to get the gift inside. Well, look at that verse. The gift is eternal life. God's offering you eternal life. It's the opposite of death. It's a better life. It's a spiritual life. It's knowing God. It's forgiveness. It's, it's heaven. It's all of that. God offers it to you, but it's, but it's a gift, and you receive it.
You don't pay for it. You don't build a bridge and earn it. You receive it by walking across the bridge that God built in Jesus. Because look at that verse again. The gift of God is eternal life. What? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Imagine this is eternal life, a new life, a better life, heaven, all of that. Forgiveness. And this Bible is Jesus. The gift is in Jesus. And to get the gift, you have to have Jesus. You cannot have the gift without Christ. He's the bridge. You walk through Him, in Him, across Him. And it's in Christ you have all that we said in the very beginning this morning that you want. It's in Christ. This is a a bridge that some guys in our church built. Nothing special about this bridge, but it's a symbol. It's a symbol of Jesus and what He did on the cross when He built that bridge for you. It's a symbol of you moving from this side. The walkway over here is black, a picture of our sin. And on this side it's gold, a picture of glory and heaven and forgiveness and new life. But in the middle there's red. It's the blood of Christ. It's a symbol of walking from where you are and from the problem of sin to a new life through Christ. Is that what you want? Is that what you need? I know there are men and women of all ages Teenagers and older children in this room. That's what you want. It's what you need. And God wants you to have it. He wants to give it to you. But you have to give your life to Christ. You have to spiritually walk across the bridge. And so I'm going to ask us to stand. And I'm going to stand here on this side of the bridge. Pastors are here at the front. Decision counselors are down here. But I'm going to be standing here. And I'm asking you to take a step of faith. I'm asking you to say, Pastor... That is exactly what I need. I need that new life. I need forgiveness. I need eternal life. I want heaven, and I have not yet walked across Jesus. I've not given my life to Him. And I'm going to ask you to leave wherever you are and come and come up these steps and meet me right here. Pastors will be here to help you. But you come and meet me and say, Pastor, I want to cross this spiritual bridge. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want, I want heaven. I want forgiveness. I want eternity. I want a new life. I want a better life. I'm tired of the way it's been. I want something better, something new. I'm asking you to come and tell me that's what you want. So let's stand. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. And I'm inviting you. As soon as I say amen, they're going to sing and you start walking. I want you to run down this aisle. I want you to come quickly. Come to where these pastors are standing here right now. And I want you to come to me at these steps and say, I want to give my life to Christ and I'll walk with you across this bridge. Father, help us. That man and that woman out here right now, that teenager, who deep in her heart want to do this, God, Give them a boldness. Let them take that first step. Let them commit themselves to you. Draw them by your spirit. Love them, Father. Love them right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. They're going to sing. You join with us. You come. We're waiting.